Hello, welcome to Motherhood Out Loud, a safe place for mothers to talk openly about their experiences without fear of judgment or shame. Our hope is for women to realize that we're not alone in the variety of emotions we feel and that we're able to provide a more loving community for future moms. Let's take take our our power back and and live motherhood out loud. With Carla and Cindy. Hello, welcome back. Today we have a very special guest with us. We're super excited. It's going to be our first male guest of the whole podcast. His name is Kevin and he is actually Karim's husband. So if you guys listen to her episode, I believe it's episode five, you'll know about their story from her perspective. And today we get to hear from his perspective. Hi, Kevin. How are you? Hey, Cindy. I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Yes, we're very excited and glad that you agreed um, to come on, especially since since you're a man. <laughs> it's kind of hard to get <laughs> these men on board sometimes. <laughs> um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you met your wife? Sure. Um, let's see. Karen and I, we met each other in middle school. Uh, we were in our sixth grade humanities class together. And we didn't start officially dating until high school. So about four years later, four and a half years later, um, we were, I was 15, she was 16 years old and I was in 2008. So now we've been together. We just celebrated our 14th anniversary and have been married now for four years. Wow. That's awesome. And then can you tell us a little bit about your background, like what you do? Sure. So I am a pharmacist at a hospital here in El Paso, Texas. Uh, graduated from UT Austin with Carum in 2016 and have worked in El Paso ever since. Awesome. Yes, that's how I, I know Kevin through work and that's how we connected to Karim and all of that. So thank you, Kevin, right. for talking to Karim for me and getting her on with us. We yeah, really enjoyed course. talking to her. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, your road to conception with Karim and how that went? Sure. Um <clears throat> So let's see. It's just crazy to go back and, and think about all that. So we got married in 2018 and uh, just kind of thought, hey, you know, uh, we really wanted to, to get a jump on, on starting a family and, you know, we'd been together for so long. So we officially started trying probably in the late fall or early winter of 2018. And uh, things just, you know, weren't working out for us. Um, we went for about five, six months of trying and uh, nothing. So I uh, happened to just be at my uh, just regular family med doctor just for my annual and just happened to mention to it. I'm like, hey, you know, we're trying and nothing's really going on. And he kind of just brushed it off and just kind of laughed a little bit and was just like, oh, you guys are young. Like, I wouldn't worry about anything unless you tried it for at least a year. You know, um, you guys still have plenty of time. I wouldn't worry about anything. And so, you know, just kind of, you know, went with that and didn't think anything of it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> simultaneously Carol actually had her annual or her uh, yeah I guess her annual appointment with her OBGYN and happened to mention it to him and he kind of said the same thing at first but was kind of like well you know we can still get you guys tested and we can just kind of go from there mm-hmm. so Karen had some lab tests I had some lab tests and uh, everything looked okay except that Karim's, um her prolactin level was a little high. So he was like, oh, well, we could possibly treat this and just kind of go from there and see what happens. And then for me, he said, "Uh, you might want to just go and get a urology 
consult and just kind of see, you know, if everything is going okay and stuff. So I actually ended up going with a doctor that was, you know, pretty familiar to me at the hospital. Okay. So he, you know, examined me, uh, had some labs drawn. Uh, I provided a, a sample and uh, we just kind of went from there. Um, I also had an ultrasound done, ultrasound, everything structurally came back. Okay. It was just that my sample, my, my sperm sample was actually uh, pretty low. And he didn't really have an answer for that. And it was just kind of like, you know, there's not really much I can offer you at this point. Um, I would recommend that you go see uh, a reproductive endocrinologist. And he kind of threw out Dr. Noble's name. So I didn't really think much of it. <clears throat> didn't really know how to kind of proceed from there. But uh, after kind of going back and Karen kind of talking with her OBGYN again, he kind of agreed and was like, hey, like, we need to get you guys in to go see Dr. Noble. So he kind of gave us that referral and we met with Dr. Noble. So once I met with Dr. Noble, um, he kind of helped to kind of like review some of the the tests and stuff that my urologist had kind of gone through with me. And he was like, you know what, I really think that you would be beneficial if you met with a reproductive, I'm sorry, not a reproductive, um, a urologist that had some sort of experience in um, endocrinology. So he recommended another urologist. And so I went and met with him and he actually started me on a trial of Clomid. Clomid traditionally is used mainly for female infertility, but okay. it does have an off-label indication for male infertility, kind of increases testosterone and in turn increasing your sperm count. So we decided to go on and have a trial of that just to kind of see if that improved anything. So I think for about three to six months, I was on Clomid and again after my trial i went in and provided another sample and there was like literally no change it was just like so devastating it was like really like this is literally just kind of felt like this was all my fault and and you know like this medication mm -hmm. which was kind of our last line before trying anything else just didn't work and it was just you know kind of really hard on us right. went back to dr noble and that's how we kind of started our ibf pro um, process and then kevin when you initially went for like your exams and stuff were you ever kind of on the defensive or like not wanting to do it yeah there was definitely some sort of like stigma with it <clears throat> and I remember like like telling my wife uh, when I went to the first urologist and I was in the waiting room uh waiting for my uh, for, for me to be called in I, I just remember kind of being embarrassed because I'm sitting in a room full of like men who are like over the age of 70 you know, and it was just like, man, do I do I really have a problem? Like, you know, it was just really embarrassing to kind of sit there and like kind of go through that. And so it was just, it was just different. You know, yeah. of course I had my wife's support, but you know, I really didn't want to kind of, you know, bring it up and out in the open, you know, talk with friends and other family members about it. It was just kind of embarrassing to me. Yeah, of course. So you kind of kept it to in between just you and Karen for a while. Right. Um, and with the Clomid, I had never heard of it being used with for male infertility. Did did you have any side effects from it? No, 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 no side effects. That's what I was kind of most worried about is this was going to be messing with my hormones and things like that. But I, I really didn't experience any sort of changes at all. And you were on it for three months, you said? Uh, three months, between three and six months. I can't remember exactly, but yeah, okay. probably closer to three. Wow. And how was the, when you guys decided to go through IVF, how, how did you feel throughout all of it? I know it was like very physically hard on Karim, but how, you know, how was it for you to watch? Yeah. So I think that's one thing is like, <clears throat> it affected Karim physically. 
but I think it affected me emotionally more. Um, just kind of knowing like, Hey, this is, you know, and, and you know, Karen did a great job of just kind of telling me, you know, over and over, like, this isn't your fault. This is, you know, our, this is something we had to get through as a couple, but you know, just, that was just kind of always lingering in the back of my mind. Like I'm making my wife go through all this poking and prodding and, you know, you know, what is it for? This is all my fault. You know, what did I do wrong? It's sort of things like that. Yeah. I can see how that kind of comes into your head a lot, blaming yourself, right? When right. really it wasn't anyone's fault. Yeah. There's not really anything you can do about it. Mm-hmm. And did they ever tell you any, I mean, are there any alternatives that you know of like to help with that? Or is it just what pretty much what you did is what they would yeah, suggest? Yeah, no. So there are other recommendations, you know, um, you can, Stop smoking. If you're a smoker, you can lose some weight. Uh, you know, make sure you're getting plenty of uh, vegetables and, and fruits in your diet, which I all, which I tried all of those things. I mean, I wasn't a smoker, but um, yeah, just uh, some of those things can contribute to infertility. So you're just trying to kind of take away everything that can contribute to it. And unfortunately, we had no luck. Okay. And there was no like holistic or homeopathic like ways that... No, that. I didn't come across any of that and I didn't really try anything holistically. Okay. And then can you t- like go a little more in depth with the IVF? I know Karen sure. explained it very well, but um, just from yeah. your perspective, how, how did you see things from the start to kind of to the finish? Yeah. So um, first off, um, Dr. Noble, one thing I really did appreciate with him is he was very kind of clear about results. Mm-hmm. You know, he was like, you know, IVF doesn't work for everyone, but I think it's your best shot. And he just kind of went through the process step by step and, you know, drew pictures and diagrams and brought out different, you know, um, magazines and different articles to just kind of show us exactly what this process was going to entail. So I, I think it was really appreciative to him for that uh, kind of put us at ease, you know, for what it for what it did. But mm-hmm. um the the first step essentially was kind of getting Karen ready for the whole egg retrieval. So that required a lot of um, different uh, medications, lots of different injections that she would do on a nightly basis. And that started probably January, late January, early February, 2020. Okay. So uh, we were doing all of this and basically it was just hyper stimulating her ovaries to produce more eggs. So it was like late February when we had to go in early one morning. I provided a sample in one room while Karen was kind of getting ready for a small, small procedure, but the procedure did was going to cause a lot of discomfort. So they were going to put her under some mild sedation and things like that. So I just kind of remember, you know, uh, this was the one part of the process Dr. Noble told me that I wasn't going to be allowed to be a part of. So, you know, I was just going to kind of wait in the waiting room for about 45 minutes while this process was being done. So I just remember walking into the recovery room after the procedure was done and Karen's face was just white. Like you could just see like she was in a lot of pain. I was like, oh my God, like what happened? And she really didn't remember a lot, but she just knew that she was in pain. She was nauseous. She was dizzy, you know, and that could have also been side effects from the sedation, but you know, just wanted to make sure that I was there for her, for her. I remember we took the day off so that, you know, she could recover at home and everything. And uh, we just kind of went from there. But um, the good news is, is that we did um, extract 17 eggs, which wow. was a pretty high number. He said mm-hmm. that if 
the most he's ever done in a in a female was uh, 20 eggs. So uh, we got we got pretty close there, and he right. that would give us a, a better opportunity to um, you know continue with IVF with the more eggs we got. So that was good. Um, so <clears throat> is the that the next process takes about three to five days, and basically they. Uh, of the 20, I'm sorry, of the 17 eggs that were, were taken out, uh, 12 of them were available for um, fertilization. Like they were stable enough. They, they had a good shape and everything on them. So 12 of them were fertilized. And then essentially after they fertilized the eggs, they watched them for another um, three to five days just to see if they grow into embryos. So of our 12 eggs that were fertilized, only five grew to embryo states. Okay. And um, at the same time, Dr. Noble was, you know, monitoring Karim. I think it was like every other day or something she was going in, reporting her symptoms and stuff. Well, unfortunately, Karim actually experienced some minor, some minor um, I guess, symptoms of ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. So she felt super, super bloated. She had like she was, you know, essentially retaining a, a whole bunch of different uh, of extra fluid in her abdomen. It was kind of hard for her to, to breathe. So um, this was again, you know, you know, now we're kind of going into the early days of March, and as we all know, that's when COVID kind of kind of hit. So um, Dr. Noble was like, you know what, it's probably best at this point because I don't want to, you know implant uh, one of the embryos and then, you know, Karen, you know, end up in the hospital because, you know, the hyperstimulation can, can be really dangerous for, uh, for women. And, you know, it, it can essentially cause ovarian torsion and then it completely make a woman sterile. So we want to make sure that we prevent that at all costs. So we kind of made that decision like, hey, we're going to go ahead and freeze the embryos and we're going to give Karen's uh, body uh, time to heal. So what we thought was going to be a two or three week process ended up turning into a five month process with the way that COVID worked. But um, right. that's kind of like our, our, that was our like early stages of uh, IVF. Wow. That, yeah. I remember Karen telling us about the, um, the ovarian hyperstimulation uh -huh. and it sounded pretty scary. Yeah. She so couldn't it breathe. A lot of pain and lots of different things. Yeah. Um, I always joke around with Karen about it because one night, she was she was completely convinced that she had uh, ovarian hyperstimulation. She's like, "Oh my god, I can't breathe." She's like, "You need to take me to the pharmacy right now. We need to buy a Fulfox." Uh huh. And I was like, "Oh man, like this is really bad." So we, you know, we went to Walgreens. It was like 9 p.m. It was a really long line to get to the front to go get a Fulfox, and finally we were able to buy a Fulfox. We ran outside. We put it on her finger, and she was sitting at 100 <laughs> percent. So we were just like laughing, like, a, like, you know, like two healthcare providers, we just overthink everything and, you know, everything is wrong with us. So it was just funny to kind of see that we were always joke around like that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think we're the worst actually. Oh, definitely. <laughs> All week I've been asking Chris to take my pulse. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I feel like I'm having palpitations and he's like, literally you're fine. I'm like... <laughs> Yeah. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. A few weeks ago, I had some pretty bad allergies and just lots of congestion, like in my chest and stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, this is going to turn into pneumonia. And then I'm going to get intubated and they're going to oh, no. for COVID and all these different things. Yeah. I was just, you just overthink everything and take a Benadryl and I'm fine the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That's hilarious. Um, Kevin, what is something that you learned through all this like fertility journey that you weren't? 
you weren't aware of, especially for men to know? Yeah, so that's a that's a good question. Um, so unfortunately, I think there's like a pretty large stigma around infertility in males. Like uh, definitely, you know, in regarding healthcare in general, just males don't like talking about things. And I kind of found that to be true about infertility. <clears throat> mm-hmm. I didn't really do a lot of research when I when we were going through our process on you know how common is this. You know, Karen would always, you know, kind of read these articles and stuff to me. And she would just be like, hey, you know, like infertility ends up affecting one in eight couples, you know, and just to kind of bring it into perspective, like, hey, we're not alone in this. Mm-hmm. You know, and of course, you know, I saw other couples, you know, walk in and out of Dr. Noble's office while we were there. So it was just kind of, you know, reassuring in that fact that we weren't alone in all of it. But mm-hmm. um, preparing for this podcast, I did a little more research. And so, yeah, so infertility affects one in eight couples. And of that, about 50% of those cases uh, are, are due to male infertility. So that equates to about one in 10 males in the United States having some, some form of infertility. So, I mean, 10% of males out there, that's, that's, that's eye-opening to me. I just didn't believe or mm-hmm. I, I you know, didn't really think that number existed. I didn't think it was that high. So it is right. more common than you think. Yeah, 10%, that's a significant number, I would right. think. Mm-hmm. Right. And I mean, was it hard for you? Like, when did you feel like the ability to be more open about it? Because I know you were Uh, saying at first it was shame. Like, you kind of felt like, oh, like I shouldn't be here. Like, you know. Yeah, I think uh, finally being more open about it is when we finally got the good news that, you know, Karen was pregnant and that we, Mm. you know, six weeks later, we were able to hear the heartbeat. And then just going forward and, you know, ultrasound after ultrasound, seeing the baby grow, finally getting to our anatomy scan, we're just kind of realizing like, hey, this is happening. This is okay. It mm-hmm. worked out for us. Um, that's kind of when I realized like, you know what, like this isn't really that big of a stigma anymore. And, you know, more and more people, you know, that we told like, hey, we're pregnant, you know, we'd kind of tell our story just to kind of like leave it out in the open and like, hey, guys, like this is what happened to us. And. You know, I'm not I'm not afraid to to say it anymore. You know, like this this was kind of you know due to to a problem that I had, and you know we got through it together as a couple. Yeah, that's yeah, amazing. You know, it's just kind of amazing, different journey than most people have, but you know it was, uh, you know it's it's just kind of nice to talk about now. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that you're talking about it and you're open about it, especially like here with us. I think it's hard for like you said to get men to talk about pretty much. A lot of things, <laughs> but especially right. I think when it comes to like something that quote unquote is their fault, you know what I mean? Right. They, they don't really want to talk about it, especially when like in our culture, you know, like there's always those jokes about like men getting women pregnant so quickly. And like, it's kind of like that macho thing. Right. But, um, okay, which, which is kind of like what, like a lot of men think, you know, like, Hey, this is, that's my job in the marriage, you know, it's my. That's my one contribution. You yeah, know. if I'm going to do anything right, it's going to be basically. Exactly. You can't even do that right, like really. But yeah, no, it's 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 more common than you think, guys. Yeah. And then, Kevin, when you guys were like just sharing your story, did, did uh, you know, since you guys were just starting to share it, did you feel like when you were about to say, oh, we're going through IBF, was the automatic response from people or assumption that it was Karam instead of you? Um, I think 
most people, when we kind of told them, hey, yeah, we're going through IVF, a lot of them were, were just kind of like, what is that? What exactly does that mean? Like, I know, like, for example, like my mom had kind of a hard time understanding exactly what that meant. And she just kind of was under that assumption, like, hey, like, don't worry, like, it'll happen when it happens. Right. Um, but it, yeah, it was just kind of explaining, like, like, this isn't Karim's issue, really. It's, it's more my issue. And um, yeah, I, I guess kind of telling people, I don't, I don't really know that they thought immediately, like, is this Karim's issue or is it Kevin's issue? I think it was more kind of like, well, what exactly is IVF? Just because there's not really like a lot of information out there for people about this. Yeah. Gotcha. And Kevin, locally, what would be your tips for people that are going through something similarly? For IVF? Similar? Yeah. So the first thing that I think that we would recommend is get in contact with your health insurance just to kind of see what your options are. So <clears throat> I know Karen touched on this uh, during her podcast, but our insurance essentially covered close to like $25,000 for one round of IVF. So that includes the procedure and also includes a lot of medications. But that's a one-time like coverage. Like we, if we needed, like let's say this round of IVF didn't work, like we wouldn't be able to use our insurance again for a second round of IVF. So, um, so to just kind of check with your insurance to see, you know, what exactly they cover and then uh, go from there. Secondly, Dr. Noble is the only office here in town that will provide those fertility services, but you can also, you can always shop around. I know, uh, there are other, um, doctors in other states where essentially you go, you visit them, you stay for about four weeks, you get the whole process done, then you return back home. So, you know, there are all those, op those opportunities. If you have that, that opportunity, you know, to take time off from work and, you know, kind of go visit another state and do that. And then thirdly, uh, what Karen kind of brought to my attention the other day, which I kind of wish we did is, so we have that kind of like bulk fund of $25,000. It's like a one-time fee, right? Mm -hmm. Well, we ended up using a lot of it towards our medications. That was probably the most expensive part portion of this. Well, there are certain specialty pharmacies, I can't remember the name of it, but there's one in Florida and they will actually give you a super discounted rate if you're paying cash versus your insurance to send you those medications. So you're able to save on, you know, on, on your, on, on using the, on using money for these medications and, you know, use that for, you know, future procedures in case your first round of IVF didn't work and you needed to use it for another, another round. You could save a lot of money that way by just kind of pay, paying cash for your medications and then having the, that massive discount apply to uh, at other pharmacies. So, I mean, like there's different things that you need to do before you just kind of get into IVF. Like you do need to, you do need to do a lot of research and you do need to dedicate a lot of time to, you know, lots of, lots of these appointments, um, setting time aside every night to make sure that you're having your medications administered correctly. Um, so there's just like lots of different things that you just need to kind of be aware about before we start this process. And what do you think you guys would have, would do anything different if you could go back yeah. and do it all over again? So, <clears throat> and I think it was just kind of this process because, you know, we were, we were waiting a long time for our baby. So there was, you know, the, obviously like the anxiety just starts building up and building up and building up. And um, I remember when we first 
when the, the embryos were frozen and we finally got the call, it was like in July that we would be um, in the next group to, um, to have our IVF, to have our transfer. Um, essentially, I remember like, okay, well, when is the appointment? And Karen's like, well, it's going to be in late August. And I'm like, what? It's like the middle of July. Why can't we have it next week? And I remember getting like super angry with Dr. Noble, like, oh man, I can't believe he's making us wait this long. That's ridiculous. We've already waited five months and like, how dare he and all these things. But a little bit I realized it was because he's literally flying in an embryologist and he only flies them in four times a year and he does it in a large batch of patients so that, you know, they're all on the same schedule. They're all on the same time so that he can, you know, kind of follow these patients, you know, regularly um, around the year. So I didn't, I wasn't aware of that at that time. So just kind of, you know, making sure that you have your schedule checked out with the doctor uh, before that'll save you on a lot of anxiety, a lot of frustration. Yeah, that makes sense so that you're not anticipating something happening like super fast. And it's right. Like, no, and then suddenly month. it's like, yeah, it'll be a month and a half away. Like, what? Are you crazy? <laughs> That's so funny, Kevin. I could totally feel that desperation, though, you know, when you're in it, especially you want your right. baby so bad that you're like, come on, anything, you know, keeping it yeah. from happening. It, it was just so crazy because we would drive by the clinic and like in the middle of COVID when everything was shut down and you just look and you'd be like, wow, look, literally we have five embryos who are deep frozen in this building right here. Every That's time crazy. we drive by, it's crazy. Yeah. And were you nervous that it wasn't going to take the first time? Yeah. Um, so Dr. Noble was really um, kind of clear about the numbers. And I remember him specifically saying like, okay, so Karen is, is still young. She's under 30 and she's going to be going through IVF you have a 40% chance of this working. Wow. So it was like not even like a flip of a coin. So it was yeah. just very like nerve wracking and like, and then like um, if your first round fails, your second round has a lower chance of success, a lower success rate. Really? And the third and even lower success rate. So yeah, there were a lot of nerves, but you know, we had a lot of uh, faith, a lot of prayers and uh, you know, just a lot of uh, good vibes from a lot of our, family and friends who uh, did know that we were going through this, this process and, um, you know, forever thankful for all that, because I really do, do feel that we had, you know, um, we had a lot of those good vibes kind of come our way. And, and I think that's, that's why we were successful in our first try. Yeah. I, I can't imagine how stressful that was for a little bit. And when did the whole, cause I always wonder, you know, for, for women, I feel like as soon as they find out they're pregnant, like they, already like go down this like rabbit hole of like I'm a mom and like I'm gonna have a baby and this is crazy and I think for it you know they always say the man isn't like it doesn't hit them until the baby's born did you feel that way or when did you feel like oh man like I'm gonna be a dad like this is happening right yeah so that's funny that you say that because you know you always you know watch movies or you see them on those videos online and stuff like that where like the mom is telling the dad in some unique, cute way of like, you know, they're pregnant, whatever way it was. Uh, Karen had always told me that she would buy me like a pair of those like white New Balances. And that's how she would tell me that I'm a dad and stuff. But since, since we were going through this process, it was kind of hard to kind of keep that secret from me, you know? Right. Yeah. So uh, I remember after we had the implantation and, you know, Karen was getting these progesterone injections um, for, you know, weeks after the implantation, uh, you know, I went with her, I took her to the hospital so that she could get her, uh, blood levels drawn 
and stuff like that. And I remember we were shopping at Target and uh, we both had the day off and boom, we got the news that Karen's, you know, HCG levels were through the roof and she was pregnant. So, you know, it was just kind of finding it out in a different way. But did I feel like I was a dad at that point? Like, definitely not. And I don't know. Um, you know, I was super happy. I knew that, that she was pregnant. I, you know, I went to the first sonogram with her at six weeks and I heard the, the heartbeat and it wasn't, I mean, I was extremely happy, you know, I was like, oh man, this is going to work. But yeah, did I feel like a dad? No, not really. And, and it wasn't probably until maybe a month or two before birth where I was, you know, putting together the crib and, you know, getting everything kind of situated, getting nursery ready where I was like, man, like I'm going to be a dad, you know, and that's, I think that's kind of when I started feeling like when it was closer towards pregnancy or towards the pregnancy ending with, uh, with birth finally, when, uh, when I started feeling like a dad. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's wild to me. Cause I think it's just it's so interesting how men and women just don't, I don't know. We're just not built the same. In a lot of yeah. Ways. I don't know. I can't explain it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cause no, I'm like, what, what were you thinking, Kevin? Every time you saw this and Kevin's like, I don't know. I mean, like I was happy, but yeah yeah because yeah. i think it like for <laughs> us it like consumes our minds you know what i mean and i think for men you guys are like happy but you're able to kind of like like move on you know to the right. next thing until it's actually right. in front of you um kevin could you tell us the story of your daughter's birth i'm curious to sure. see how it all felt from your perspective yeah so um pretty much Starting like Karen's second trimester around there, um, we moved away from Dr. Noble and we went back to the to her regular OBGYN to take care of uh, that process. So um, unfortunately, due to COVID, I wasn't allowed to go any to any of those appointments. So Karen get, did a good job of either FaceTiming me or kind of recording the you know any ultrasound or sonogram that kind of went went on from there. <clears throat> but I remember the doctor from like early on in the second trimester was kind of you know asking Karen like. Hey, uh, how's your diet? Because your baby is, you know, measuring uh, two or three weeks ahead, you know? And so it was just this constant, like, wow, like she's, you know, she's going to be a large baby. And we just kept going on and week by week, every time that, that uh, she got measured, it was like, yep, here she is. She's measuring two weeks ahead. Here she is two and a half weeks, three weeks ahead now. And so <clears throat> I just remember the closer and closer to her due date, I just kept thinking like, she's going to come. She's going to come tomorrow. She's going to come tomorrow. Not realizing like, no, that's, that's not how that, how that works. Just because she's measuring three weeks ahead doesn't mean she's coming three weeks. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so um, we took our time off. I think her original due date was May 17th. And we ended up taking our time off starting, I want to say May 10th. So about okay. a week ahead. Uh-huh. Uh, just to kind of get things ready, Karen was, you know, we didn't want to, you know, put her into any undue stress. So we both took the time off. I think we had an appointment on May 11th. So that Tuesday. So Monday, we just, you know, kind of relaxed and chilled at home. And then Tuesday in the morning, we went to her parents' house to get some breakfast. And then we went to the OBGYN's appointment. And I remember driving Karen there. And I, again, still had to sit in the car waiting for, for her to tell me, mm -hmm. but yeah, uh, the OBGYN went in there. He kind of just measured, and he's like, "Okay, Karen, I, I think this we're at a good point now where we're going to go ahead and induce you tonight. I don't want her, the baby, to get any bigger because then we're going to risk um, uh, 
you needed to do a C-section. The baby will be too big. Hmm. So I was like, oh, man, finally. So we, we came down. He's like, okay, you're going to show up at uh, the hospital tonight at, um, I think it was like 5 p.m. or something. And then we're going to start to the whole process. So we had already had our bags packed and everything. And boom, we went off. And I think we showed up at like 4.30, even earlier. We were just so excited. <laughs> so they took us into the room, into the labor and delivery room. And um, I just remember kind of like trying to get comfortable, trying to make sure Karen was situated and everything. And just kind of like sitting in the room like, wow, this is where our daughter's going to be born. So um, they started uh, they they started Karen on Cervidil to kind of start the induction process. And we just kind of waited. And I remember turning on the TV and we were just kind of flipping through the channels and we ended up coming across a Twilight Zone marathon and <laughs> we ended up watching the 10 minutes of it. And before you know it, it was just like, we're hooked on it. We were just watching every single episode. And before you know it, it's like 10 PM. We're just kind of relaxing. And finally we both fall asleep. <clears throat> so at midnight that comes around and uh, I wake up and I turn on, I look and Karen is kind of like sweating. She's in pain. You could tell she was had difficulty breathing. And I was like, what's wrong? And she's like, I'm really in pain. I need to get my epidural. Uh, so we called the nurse and the nurse came in and they brought in the CRNA, the CRNA, which at the, you know, looking back now, I, I was a little upset, but at the same time I was kind of like, you know, I need to do whatever I need to do to, to make sure Karen gets her pain relief. But the CRNA asked me to step outside the room while they were inserting the, the epidural, which kind of upset me a little bit, you know, thinking mm -hmm. about it. But again, I was just kind of like, you know, you do you. Karim, get your pain relief. I'll be right back. Right. So I remember sitting outside in the waiting room and it felt like forever. And I was like, what's going on? And I finally turned around and I look and it was like 35 minutes and just didn't know what was going on. Didn't know what was going on. Well, it turns out that Karim was in so much pain. She was shaking and there was a whole bunch of different things. So the CRNA had a hard time kind of inserting the epidural. So <clears throat> anyways, by the time I was Brought back into the room, you know, Karen was not in any more pain, but she was like, yeah, like I, I can't get up anymore and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. I just remember like, okay, cool. Like everything's, you know, we're, you know, further along in the process, whatnot, everything's going to be great. <clears throat> so right. kind of, you know, fell back asleep, didn't think anything of it. And around 5 a.m., the doctor walks in and he was just like, hey, I'm going to, I'm here to, you know, do an assessment and whatnot. And so he goes in and he um, checks Karim and he's like, oh, well, I hate to tell you this, but you're only three centimeters dilated. Mm. I'm like, what? Like, we've been here for 12 hours and that's it? Right. So he says, well, I'm going to try to kind of get things going along. So I'm going to actually break your water. So he went ahead and did that. And he's like, that should get things going. And hopefully in the next few hours, we can start some Pitocin and then we can, you know, kind of go on from there. He says, oh, you should have your baby here. Hopefully around uh, noon or 1 p.m. Like, wow, like that's great. So we're just kind of there waiting and stuff like that. You know, we're just kind of relaxing, just trying to, you know, you know, we were super excited and, you know, texting family and friends, you know, what, what, the, what the updates were. <clears throat> and then we started noticing that the nurse came in and she asked Karen to kind of lay on her side. And she's like, yeah, your baby's asleep, but we kind of want to wake her up at this point. So kind of lay her on her side. She left, and maybe five, ten minutes later, she asked Karen to get on her other side. Did the same thing, and she kept coming in and kept leaving. You know, and being in healthcare, and especially like in a hospital, mm -hmm. I was like, okay, like that's weird. Like if someone's coming yeah. in that frequently, like something's wrong. So by this time, it's kind of changed the shift. The morning nurse comes in. 
she's having Karen do the same thing, kind of move from side to side. So finally, after like one or two times of her coming in, I was like, is everything okay? Like, what what's mm-hmm. going on? So she was saying that essentially the baby's heart rate was dropping. So she was saying, um, you know, like she even like reached in and she like said that she tried to feel the baby's head. And when she like touches the top of the baby's head, that the heart rate should go up. And in this case, it was mm-hmm. going down. So she said that, you know, that was a little worrisome that she had already sent a message to Karim's doctor to kind of go from there. So we were just now, you know, like leaving us, you know, leaving the room kind of like, you know, you, you don't really want to say that to someone, especially when we've just gone through IVF and things like that, you know, like immediately like our, our mind goes into a place where we don't want to go. So we started getting a little more concerned, a little more concerned. And then maybe about 30 minutes later, uh, Karen's doctor walks back in and he kind of assessed everything. And then he just kind of <clears throat> came back and told Karen, you know, like, hey, uh, I think it would be best at this point if we proceeded with the C-section. And he's like, I know this isn't your original plan, but, um, you know, this is what's best for the baby. And he's like, I always say that, you know, natural births are for moms and C-sections are for the baby. Like it's, it's there because it's a safety mechanism. You know, and as soon, as soon as he says that, we're like, of course, like we need to proceed with that. But it was just kind of sad for a minute. You know, Karen cried and, you know, I felt really bad because this isn't how she wanted things to go down. This isn't how I wanted things to go down. So, you know, I was just trying to, to be there to support her and, you know, kind of calm things down as much as I could because I knew the next few moments were going to be pretty stressful. So <laughs> the next part is like the, the nurse comes in and she hands me some scrubs and she says, okay, dad, I need you to clean up the room and I need you to put these scrubs on so we can start. So I was like, okay, yeah, sure, no problem. But I like put the scrubs on our bags. You know, I was still there trying to comfort Karen or whatnot. And maybe like five minutes later, she comes back in. She's like, why aren't you changed? Why aren't you, why haven't you cleaned up the room? I'm like, oh what? my gosh. <laughs> like, like, are we doing this now? She's like, yes, now. And that's wow. when it was like, oh man, like now, like that, that kind of like realization from like, you know, the somber, quiet mood just kind of went to like this excitement. Like, wow, I'm going to literally be holding my baby like within the next like, you know, 20, 30 minutes. Wow. So immediately like switched into the scrubs, threw everything that we had out into like my duffel bag and then just like, the nurse came in, she took me off to the recovery area. I dumped our bags and stuff. And then I just kind of sat in this hallway in the OR waiting for Karen to come in. Karen was brought in. The doctor was like, okay, I'm going to go prep her. Don't worry. We won't start until you're in the room and stuff like that. So I was just kind of waiting and waiting and waiting. And finally they came in and they said, okay, uh, come on in. So Karen was kind of on the operating table there was a curtain that kind of like went like right by her belly button. So you couldn't see anything below it. And I sat up on the top near her head by the anesthesiologist. So <clears throat> I'm just kind of sitting there. I could smell like the cauterization. I could like, you know, from the cutting and stuff like that. <clears throat> and then uh, maybe within like five minutes after starting, I could just, I felt a uh, tap on my shoulder and the anesthesiologist was like, get up, get up, go look, go look. So as soon as I stood up, I saw the medical resident who's with the doctor kind of like lean on Karen's abdomen and he like pushed down on her belly. And next thing I know, I see this huge gray sack come out of her stomach. The doctor cuts the sack open and I just see this gray little alien, wrinkly (laughs) alien there. And then boom, they cut the cord and she kind of wakes up and starts screaming. And immediately the Nikki team grabs her. They take her over to the warmer and they start cleaning her off, you know, 
sucking everything out of her her throat and everything. And immediately it's like, okay, dad, you're with the baby now. You can leave mom. You're going to come over here. So I'm sitting there and I'm, of course, you know, taking video and videos of, of my baby and, you know, holding her hand and looking at her and, you know, watching the, the nurse wrap her up. And, you know, and, and I'm trying to kind of reassure Karen and, you know, kind of turning around and, and looking at Karen. But at this point, I'm now on the other side of the curtain. I just saw some things that I never want to see again. <laughs> <clears throat> so we, we take the baby and we go over to, to Karen's face to her side with the head where her head is and so she can see the baby you know give her a kiss and everything and then they were like okay uh dad you're gonna come with us to recovery so i was like what i'm just i i, I was kind of conflicted like do i stay with the baby or do i stay with the mom right but no they're like no you're gonna stay with the baby now so this is your baby so it was just kind of that realization like wow like your your life has completely changed at that point so i remember going to recovery you know I watched her baby. She got her, you know, eyes and thighs, we call it. So she got her uh, erythromycin uh, eye ointment, and then she got her vitamin K and uh, hepatitis B vaccines right away. And then um, the nurse who was there did a really good job of, you know, kind of showing me how to how to literally change a diaper. This is the first time I've ever done that. <laughs> she showed me how to swaddle the baby and stuff like that and so then I'm realizing at this point it's like man it's been like 30 minutes and Karen still hasn't come out of the OR like is everything okay you know started getting really worried and all these things <clears throat> so I'm just kind of like holding the baby you know sending pictures to everyone and then I'm turning around looking like man Karen still isn't here still isn't here and finally her doctor came out you know, put his hand on my shoulder. It was just like, everything's okay. She's coming out. They're just cleaning her up. You know, I took a look at the baby, said that she's doing great, and then just kind of left. And Karen was rolled out about five minutes later. And finally, finally, she got to hold her baby. So it was just, you know, like a whole different, you know, wave of emotions. And, you know, just, yeah, I look back at it. And even just last night, Karen and I were just looking at pictures and videos from that day, just reminiscing about like how happy we were and just, you know, how, you know, grateful we are for everything. Oh, yeah, I'm sure that you felt so happy finally when Karam came in. It was all three of you together. Yeah. And wow, that's yeah, awesome. Definitely. Were you kind of like um, freaked out a little when they were doing the operation? Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah. it was just like, I mean, like literally like she had like a an open, an open wound on her lower abdomen. And like they were just like... I'm sure like organs that were just kind of hanging out and they were just kind of like putting things back in. <laughs> Kevin's like, I'm a pharmacist. So. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't, this is why I went into pharmacy. I don't want to see any of that. But yeah, they were just like, you know, um, basically wow. sewing together layer by layer. And it was just like interesting kind of just to think like, wow, how meticulous this surgery is. And, you know, just how literally how stressful that can be on a body. It's just, just crazy. Yeah. It's a big surgery. Right. Right. And how how big was the baby? So Kate was 20 inches long, and she ended up weighing 8 pounds, 14 ounces. So just 2 pounds shy of 9 pounds. Wow. So she's a, a hefty little bugger. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. And Kevin, can you tell us a little bit about, like, how immediate postpartum was for you? Just with, you know, Karen probably being in some pain and all of that. And yeah. then when you took baby home... How was that transition for you? Yeah, sure. So 
because Karen had a C-section, she had to be kind of monitored in the recovery area for, I, I want to say, maybe an hour or two hours. So we were just kind of there. And then finally, it was just time to move. So they had a transport uh, per transport personnel come to move Karen. And then they were like, okay, dad, like, here's the bassinet. Like, you're going to move the baby. And like, here I am, like, moving her across the hospital. And I remember like every single like little crevice, every single little corner we turned, I was just like the most careful I've ever like done anything. I was like, I do not want her to fall out. I don't want anything. I just remember being <laughs> super worried about that. So they took us to postpartum and we got into the room. And again, this was still kind of like that, like middle of like that second wave of COVID in 2021. So we still weren't allowed any other visitors. It was just the, just mom and dad and the baby were the only ones who were allowed. So we went into our, our room, the postpartum nurse came in and checked on Karam, checked on the baby, made sure everything was okay. And then she was just kind of like, okay guys, like call me, need me. And she just like walked out. And I was <laughs> like, what? what, what do you mean call me? Like, this is this is it? Like, I just, we just sit here and take care of the baby? Like, that's how that works? <laughs> so I just remember we just kind of like joked about that, but <clears throat> luckily when you have a newborn, it's just basically they sleep all day and then they wake up every now and then to eat, so. Right. We were, you know, just, you know, beyond thrilled. You know, of course, Kara had to be very careful because of her incision. So, uh, you know, we would just, you know, let the baby sleep. We would hold her, you know, love her and just make sure that uh, we had, you know, plenty of uh, FaceTime sessions with, you know, my, my mom, her parents, her aunts, you know, friends. It was just like nonstop for like the first, like maybe like six hours. And then since she had a C-section, they did want to monitor her for 48 hours in the hospital. So we did have to stay another two days in the hospital. So Kate was born on a Wednesday, and then we were released probably midday on Friday of that week. <clears throat> so I remember when it was time to leave, you know, just kind of like, again, packing everything up, um, bringing the car seat up, everything, making sure that you know, we had Kate, you know, bundled up properly. And then we took her downstairs, got in the car and kind of drove off. My mom, my sister were both at the house and Karen's parents were at the house uh, already to, to greet us when we got there. <laughs> you know, they made like a little lunch and stuff for us just to kind of, you know, make, make things easier. So we had like a lot of uh, family support for us. So, um, yeah, I just remember the first few days. It was just, I was just tired. <laughs> uh, I guess the, the first few nights in the hospital, we didn't get a lot of sleep just because um, it's, it's funny. So, so Karen uh, breastfed and she had a hard time getting the baby to latch that first night. I remember we mm -hmm. were just both, you know, exhausted. And again, like the nurse, like she would come in to check on the baby and Karen and get vitals and everything. But like that was, she didn't do a lot of help with, you know, like, breastfeeding and things like that uh, we ended up getting a lactation consultant to come in the next day but uh karen had already youtubed a whole bunch of different videos on like the proper way of doing it and stuff and ended up finding a method that worked for both of them but i remember like we were still trying to catch up on the sleep from the first two nights in the hospital and just being so so exhausted so karen's mom ended up staying the first night with us at our house and she she was like kevin you look terrible go upstairs and just sleep and so Karim and my and our baby and her mom stayed downstairs and and fell asleep. So I remember like waking up the next morning, super refreshed and everything, and I went downstairs and my mother in law hadn't had one minute of sleep all night. Oh, no. just, I think primarily just because she was so excited. 
And then right. uh, Karim had some sleep every now and then, but, you know, again, was up to help take care of the baby. So uh, that was my first night off. And then after that, it was just kind of like, okay, like we have to kind of figure this out together. And uh, just a lot of like, a lot of nights where it was just kind of figuring out what worked best for us. So um, I know Karim ended up uh, joining that Target program, that online program, that subscription where they have like free delivery and stuff. So she would do a lot of shopping at night and she'd be like, hey, you know what would really be helpful is like one of those travel bassinets where like you can just put it in between us because it was hard for Karen to get out of our bed with her incision right. and everything. So she's like, it's just easier for the baby to be right there next to us. So like she bought that and at 7 a.m. the next morning, someone rang our doorbell and dropped it off. I mean, like there's just a lot of like funny things where you do a lot of your shopping apparently at like 1 a.m. in the morning. So... uh so yeah, just a lot of kind of figuring out what worked best for us. And yeah, we were even joking around that uh, uh, I took a picture of our bed one night. It was like 1130 at night and Karim is a passed out. And then Kate is in, is in her bassinet next to her completely passed out. And then literally like 27 minutes later, Karim took a picture of me completely passed out in bed with the baby next to me. So I mean, like, it's just just funny how like those things work out. But yeah, it's just a lot of like trial and error, I would say the first few weeks. And what was the hardest part for you, like, with this transition? Um, I guess just kind of finding what worked for the baby. Just because, you know, <clears throat> there was just, like, a lot of instances where, like, oh, she she only wants to be wrapped, you know, like, when she's going to bed. And um, she only wants to, she you know, we, we, we bought this swing and we were putting her in the swing for, like, the first two times. And then the third time and, 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 and after she never wanted to use the swing again. And it was just like mm -hmm. frustrating because like the swing is supposed to bring you comfort, you know, and <laughs> it's not what's going on here. So there's just like lots of different things where we were just trying to figure out like, Hey, like, does this work? Does this not work? Right. And yeah. I think Yandel yeah, didn't like the swing either. Like, I think I have a picture of him in it like once. Yeah. And that's like the only picture yeah. of him. I just, I didn't get it. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, man, this is supposed to this is supposed to be my break and I cannot yeah. even have a break right now. Yeah. And are you still so tired, is, Kevin? I'm still tired, yeah. No. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, um we were actually really lucky. Maybe about after the first month, um, our she started pretty much sleeping through the night. Okay. Well, I say that, right? Because I didn't have to wake up and, and, and feed her. Like, we're gonna we're gonna but, need a fact check from Kevin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh but I, I mean, every time that the baby woke up, I try to wake up myself you know, as much as Karen says I don't. But, um, but we'll see. My eyes thought, were just no, I think she's doing a good job now. Yeah, it's <laughs> like I swear I was trying. My eyes were just closed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was awake. I promise. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I think we we had a, we we really kind of liked that because I, she is a pretty good sleeper now. Oh, that's awesome. So I'm glad you're resting a bit more. You and Karen. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And did you ever feel like, because in the last episode that we recorded, we spoke with a therapist and she was saying uh -huh. how a lot of times like the mama bear comes out very fierce and like mm. almost can kind of push away the dad because of how like protective oh, yeah. they get. And like, you know, we get kind of like, well, don't e we don't even want to bother to ask you to do it because like you're going to do it wrong or like don't do it. You know what I mean? Don't do that. Don't do this. Did you feel that Karim kind of had that come out? <clears throat> and how did you navigate like 
hey, like, don't push me away. Like, I'm just trying right. to help you, you know? That's, that's funny that you say that, that ex those exact words about, um, I don't want, I don't want you to do something because you're just going to do it wrong. <laughs> the reason why I say that is because, um, maybe about a month before birth, Karim ended uh -huh. up subscribing to this, like, birth video. It's not really a birth video, but it's like a new parenting video. So it was this postpartum nurse and she just kind of talked about like, oh, like this is how, this is what to expect when you're in the hospital. This is what to expect when you get home. This is how you, you know, swaddle a baby. This is how you do this safely. This is what you should, you know, excuse me, this is what you should avoid and things like that. Well, one of the things she was talking about is like one of the episodes was like dad and the baby and like how the dad can get involved in, you know, raising the baby and stuff like that, especially in the first few weeks when you're home. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that this nurse said was, um, mom, do not tell the dad that he's doing something wrong or do not like just go over and say, you're doing this wrong and let me just do it because that's just going to push him away even further and he's less likely to do it in, in the future and then that's just going to lead to a lot more frustration. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so I remember like kind of like joking around with Karen, I'm like, yeah, are you listening to this? Like, are you listening to this? <laughs> And then literally, like, later on, like, maybe, like, two or three days later, we were, like, washing a whole bunch of the onesies and stuff like that in preparation and stuff. And so I started folding these onesies and, like, little backstory, like, I'm terrible at folding clothes to begin with. Like, it's, it's, it's pretty comical. Like, like, I'll fold the same amount of clothes as Karen does and then, like, hers will fit into a certain space and mine won't just because, you know, the way I fold it. She's always, like, joking me. But anyway, so... I folded these onesies and she's like, that's not how you do it. And she comes over and I was like, oh, okay. Then you fold them just like that lady said. And then she's like, oh, you know what? You're right. You just do whatever you want. And so she kind of learned from early on, like, hey, like, let me kind of do my own thing. Let me figure out my, the, you know, the, what works best for me. And then we'll just kind of move on from there. So um, did the mama bear come out? Um, I, I would say probably no. I think that Karen pretty much gave me like a, a fair shot at, you know, kind of trying things out with Kate. Um, so no, I, I wouldn't say that I, I really had like a, a big mama bear moment where like she was really, really aggressive or upset about some, the way I was doing something. Dang it. I should have watched that video <laughs> <laughs> for Chris's sake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. I'm glad that she, she was able to give you that fair shot then. Cause I think, yeah, it just, you know, FYI, that nurse was right. It does cause some problems. <laughs> <laughs> and Kevin, was has fatherhood been what you imagined in your head? No, okay. not at all. <laughs> so, um, no. So, like, one of my, I think, like, one of my favorite movies is actually, like, Father of the Bride, just because I love Steve Martin and his comedy. So I always like had that envision uh -huh. of like, oh, like she's gonna be a daddy's girl no matter what and stuff like that. And like this Aww. baby's gonna, you know, like is gonna be my best friend as soon as she comes out and stuff. And that has been a hundred percent like the opposite case. So currently right now, and I know Karen talked about it a little bit, I am still waiting for the day that my baby turns around and actually wants me. <laughs> like Aww. it just feels like 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 every time like I hold her or I'm trying to play with her, she's like always like kind of looking over her shoulder, like, Where's mom? Like, where's mom? <laughs> You know, and, and I'm still waiting for that day. I know it's going to come soon. But, uh, yeah, there still isn't – there isn't really that attachment that I'm, I, like, you know, been, like, hoping and waiting for. And, you know, I, I'm Aww. sure it'll come soon. 
Yeah, I guess like for us, it's kind of like the opposite. You know, the baby's like mm -hmm. always on us and we're just like, oh my God, like just I go with your some, dad for a I little a bit. Yeah. yeah, but it's coming, Kevin, because like right now my son's favorite thing is to like look for his dad and he's like, dad, and he's just like, dad, and not like for everything. And I'm like, hey, what about me, dude? Like we've been the one like 24 seven together right. and all of a sudden he's like, dad, dad. I'm like, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> so it's coming and you'll get your bond. But yeah, I guess you never think about that. Like as the mom, you know, that the how it feels for the dad to kind of like not be as wanted for a while, you know? Right. And I mean, it's I think secretly, like deep down, Karen is cool with that. She's just like, yeah, that's right. That's my baby. But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, we'll just see how things go in the next few months. Oh my gosh, I want to I want to follow up when as soon as Kate starts like, dad, dad, where's dad and wanting dad. <laughs> And then that's How when Karen's it'll be like, feel. that's when I'll be like, yeah, Cindy, like, I'm not getting any sleep anymore. <laughs> You're like, I'm tired again. <laughs> I have a daddy's little girl, hardcore, where really? it feels really blissful. Yes, she is obsessed with her dad now. And it was definitely after we stopped breastfeeding. That's when I stopped being used yeah. to her. <laughs> so <laughs> she was like, okay, well, you have nothing to give me anymore. And she is obsessed with her daddy. Papi this, papi that for everything. <laughs> and it is kind of nice when my husband just looks at me and I'm like, I'm just snacking comfortably sitting on the couch <laughs> for once. Uh, and so it's kind of nice because they're both, it's so funny because they have the same, they have a lot of very similar personalities and quirks. Like they're both cuddlers and I'm not. Uh -huh. And so she literally just wiggles herself into like him and they just like feel like a puzzle. Like literally looks like a puzzle Aww. between them. <laughs> Aww. And then I'm like, I just want to lay down comfortably in the couch. I'm like, yeah, it sucks, huh? <laughs> and then I just, <laughs> I just relax. <laughs> so it's coming, Kevin. And then, and then you'll just look at Karen like, please help. And right, and she's I don't be like, I'm nope. <laughs> I think Karen's gonna be like, nope. Sorry, Kevin. Enjoy, enjoy your right. bond. <laughs> and then um, one thing that I know that I've gotten tr in trouble with a little bit in the past is um, I actually have the Carter's app on my phone. So uh, before you know it, I'll just have, you know, two or three boxes arrive at the door and Karen's like, oh my God, what did you order? And so that's, that's getting a little out of control. So yeah, you're, the the you're the one with the shopping problem. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. Yeah. Um, yeah. But thank you so much, Kevin. We had yeah. so much fun hearing from you and, you know, hearing your perspective next to Karam's, it's, it's, it's nice to see. So we really appreciate having you on. Yeah, of course. And um, any any listeners out there who need a guy to talk to you about some sort of infertility thing, like Cindy, feel free to share my contact information. Yeah, I totally will, Kevin. Yes, thank you for um, opening that up because to help create that community, you know, that, that's right. not there and for the men out there. So I think that's awesome. But thank you so much, Kevin. No problem. Thanks for having me on.